Hello, everyone. I'm Kat. I'm going to be your hostess and game master for Sword of Symphonies. This is a playtest actual play podcast where my dear friends, who you're about to meet in a moment, are going to be playing the game Heroic Chord, which I've designed for them. And you're going to get to listen to us as we play our way through this alpha version of the game and learn exactly its ins and outs, as well as meet some memorable characters along the way. The first thing I'm going to tell you is kind of the key concept of a heroic chord. This continent, this world called Amilta, is scattered with these divine monuments called daeliths. And every so often they reach out and call a person to them. And that person goes on a pilgrimage, meets this monument, and in doing so, gains not only supernatural powers, but also the experience that comes with traversing the world's most dangerous areas. They become what's called a ranger. And I'm about to introduce you to three of my friends and the three rangers we're going to be playing with. And I'm going to start with our sound engineer, Kathleen. Hi. Hi. So first of all, tell us about yourself. So uh, my name's Kathleen. Um, I am a musician and music teacher and audio person. I really like weird fiction and stories. Um, I haven't probably had as much pen and paper RPG experience as some of the other people on this podcast, but I know Kat and Nick, one of the other players from way back, so I'm really excited to be working on this. I will be playing a, what is called a Wandering Magus. All righty. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your character? So my character's name is Tissa. She is a Wandering Magus, a ranger of the Daelith Wandering Hector a great stone slab that wanders the desert because it is attached to an even greater tortoise called the King of the Desert. Okay, so in the game's rules, I've included background questions, and these aren't mandatory to play the game, but they help give a better idea of who your characters are. So I'm going to be asking all my players the background background questions. So I'm going to start off with, how long did you take to find Hector? Tissa took a really long time on her pilgrimage, maybe years. And in fact, it took her long enough to just plain give up. It was really only after giving up that she was able to really fully take stock of what she had been doing and really commit to her pilgrimage in full. Okay. Now, the way Wandering Hector speaks is once a day at high noon... He tells a single word of a story that's been going on for centuries. So how much of Hector's story does Tissa know? So Tissa has been hearing the story um, probably since she was an adolescent or maybe before um, and started recording it uh, not too long before she started on her pilgrimage. She found it pretty difficult to keep the record going during the pilgrimage, though, because if I remember correctly, the um, the fiction you've set out is that the words happen at noontime, yes, which I is do. very difficult when you are uh, traveling through the desert when you want to avoid noontime as much as you can. So she would often like sort of wake up from sleep to hear the record, write it down, and then essentially go back to sleep so that she could travel at dusk and a little bit at night. So does Tissa like the desert? Tissa does like the desert. Um, there, 
Uh, she grew up by the seaside and finds a kind of kinship between the vast openness of the desert and the vast openness of the sea. Is she more comfortable with, alone or with other people around? She's kind of okay wherever she is. Um, she really likes people. She's not necessarily very good at like making and keeping friends, but she's gregarious and outgoing all the same. Okay. What is the most interesting job Tiss has taken on since her pilgrimage? So Tiss has done a lot of things. Um, uh, tends to just wander around doing whatever is interesting to her. So often she's worked as uh, essentially a dowser, using her knowledge about landscapes to find important things like places to harvest trees or places to dig wells. Uh, but the thing that she found the most challenging was probably the first time that she went to the major city of the continent, Stageport. She'd never been in a city before and found herself sort of just completely over overwhelmed and lost in the sea of people there. And the last question is, do you often wonder where Hector is or get the urge to see him again? So Tissa has a kind of fatalistic approach to this. Through Hector's story, she kind of sees a common narrative that ties everything together. And uh, she's absolutely convinced that sort of at the end of her own existence, she will be reunited with this constant string of information and stories that make up the world. So she wonders, but she's not worried. Okay. So Tissa is, I guess I have one more question, because I've decided that we're starting in a place called Hushway of City, which is the largest urban center in a place called the Coral Coast, which is a tropical volcanic region. Most of the settlements there are temporary or built to be evacuated quickly, but Hushwave City is kind of the exception. And my question is, how did, how did Tissa find her way here and how does she like it? Well, I, I'll have to decide how she found her way there, unfortunately. But Tissa likes people. She likes energy and things happening in crowds. And so there was probably something that brought her there. But in the city itself, it's full of things to do and things to learn and people to meet and ways to lose money. Great. And finally, this isn't a question about Tessa. This is a question about Kathleen. What's something that you'd like our listeners to know about you? I'll edit something in and post about how good I am. Okay, that sounds good. About how, about how you're the guy who plays Wonderwall? Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. <laughs> You're, you're the Wonderwall friend. That's me. I'm, I'm the one that musics. You're the Wonderwall. It's me. I'm the Wonderwall. You were the Wonderwall all along. In the end, we found out that the real Wonderwall was the friends we made along the way. Sort of blindsided you there. I just realized as I was asking questions, like, I want people to get to know my friends better because I like them, even Karsten. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So my next question is for my old friend Nick who uh, I think Kathleen alluded to. We did a bunch of streaming back in the old days. Yeah, hi. Hi, Nick. Hello. Tell us a little bit about A, Nick, and B, who's Nick playing? So I am a freelance designer and sort of lifelong art nerd. Um, I've always enjoyed that sort of thing. I love games because they, they sort of scratch that same creative itch as the art stuff does. Uh, so I've been doing this kind of thing for... Not as long as I've been drawing, but very long uh, as well. I've always loved this this kind of stuff. It's super cool. 
And I will be playing uh, Jonathan Cobbler, or Cobb, as he is known. He is a title navigator, uh, and he is an ex-privateer and swashbuckler. No, how dare you? Okay, so we're going to start off with um, background questions. Tidal navigators get their power from a daleth called Tidal Augustine, who lives at the center of a great whirlpool. They are difficult to reach, must be reached by sea, and can't be reached alone. So the class Tidal Navigator is very much about teamwork, about working with a crew. So my question is, what kind of ship took you to Augustine? Yeah, so the ship that took Jonathan to Augustine is, was a, uh, I guess, probably mid-sized, like, cutter or frigate. I'm not really up on my ship lingo. I should be, though. I should probably really look into that for this character. Basically a cutter or frigate, something around that size, called the Darling Beatrice, which was his privateer ship. Cute. What was the worst thing that happened on the journey? The worst thing that happened on the journey was they had a man overboard when they were getting near, and they had to fish fish him out before he got sucked under the whirlpool and drowned. Did they do it? Yes, they did. Well, that's wonderful. Now, is Jonathan still a sailor, or has he moved inland? Jonathan would really like to still be a sailor, but he is unfortunately no longer one. He was a sailor probably a decade prior in his life, and his old crew and captain, uh, those who still are alive, he doesn't know, and most of them sadly have passed away, as the life of a privateer is, well, a pretty harsh one. So what has been Jonathan's most impressive feat so far? Well, Jonathan's most impressive feat, which he still looks back on, was he was the one who fished the man out of the whirlpool. Wow. What is his favorite way to spend his downtime? Jonathan is a very boisterous and money-loving sort, so he loves to uh, go to the bar. He loves to gamble. Uh, he loves all that sort of, you know, drunken sea revelry, singing, you know, basically going out and having as much fun as he possibly can in public. Uh He's not very good with money, despite his love of it. Great. That's, I believe that's two of our characters now who have stated just a sworn love of spending money. There you go. Well, yeah, I'm a pirate. This has a good... You said privateer. I caught you. I caught you. You thought you could sneak pirate past me. My last question is, who do you think needs you the most? That's what Jonathan's really kind of trying to find out at this point. Like, he's, he's a sailor without a crew, and so he's trying to find out like, who the crew will be, what his, his new pl uh, place will be on that crew. Will he be the new captain, or will he be just a, you know, will he be first officer? Or, you know, he doesn't know what he, he doesn't know who needs him yet. Okay. That's yeah. what he's looking to find out. All right. Now, is there something you want the audience to know about Nick? I make a lot of really dumb jokes. Oh, my God. You got, when we were doing our sound test, you guys missed so many meatloaf jokes. <laughs> I love making extremely dumb jokes. Yeah, it's... <laughs> Speaking of extremely dumb jokes, the next person I'd like to introduce you to is um, an old friend of mine. Um, she's from the 80s and she's here to help. It's my bud, Kirsten. <laughs> Hi, I'm Kirsten. And yes, I am from the 80s. And I'm, well, here to uh, help. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I've been uh, gaming with Kat for, oh, over a decade, eh? Oh, yeah, since college, bud. Yeah, so I've been doing it a long time. And I like it because it's just, it's it's fun to get together with people. And it's just a really cool way to experience 
new things and an artistic outlet. And it's appealed to my dramatic side. Which she's got. <laughs> and I will be playing a uh, windswept cavalier who has a bond with Tamaris. And uh, I'm playing Penelope and Pollyanna Hunter. So I am Penelope and I have a cloud elk named Pollyanna. So Windswept Tamiris exists on a floating island with like a fairy tale ruined castle. And in order to get there, rangers need to form a bond with a creature called a cloud elk, which is just a great big winged ungulate that ordinarily does not like people or society or loud noises. So the moveset of the Windswept Cavalier is very much about taking care of creatures and empathizing with creatures and convincing them to let you become a rad mountain archer on their back. Mm -hmm. So that's what Penelope is. Yes. Where did Penelope and Pollyanna meet? Um, Penelope and Pollyanna met um, when Pollyanna was searching for remedies. Uh, she grew up in a rancher family and her uh, ranch and other ones in the area um, were starting to experience um, a bad uh, plague on the animals. They were, uh, there was a sickness going around. So she had gone out to try to find remedies and ended up coming upon a cloud elk. Now it's interesting, since they don't really like loud noises, Pollyanna's, or Penelope's not necessarily the quietest individual, but um, was able to uh, develop a bond with Pollyanna because Pollyanna was a very outgoing cloud elk, uh, seemed very friendly from the start and um, was very young at the time, uh, probably had just left their, their mother. And so that's how they, they met. So I have a very important question for you. Mm -hmm. Penelope is the name of the ranger. Pollyanna is the name of the elk. Am I right? Yes. Yeah. I know I mixed that up at the one point. Yeah. But yes. My next question is going to be, how many times per episode are you going to mix those up, my dude? Oh, uh, I'm banking on 50-50. <laughs> Atta girl. Ask my girl. We can edit that in post. <laughs> we are. No. Everyone needs to see her shame. Okay. <laughs> so was Pollyanna the elk that took you to Tamirans? Yes. Yes. Um... So once this bond was, was formed, uh, they have been inseparable. So what do you think about the view of the world from the sky? Oh, I love it. I absolutely love it. I never had fear of heights. I was always climbing trees. Um, I'm a bit reckless. Uh, I love being daring and all that kind of stuff. Okay. What role have you taken on in your community? So that's uh, when I I was trying to help uh, solve the uh, the sickness that had uh, taken over the the ranches um, of my family and the families around me. I've searched for for a cure, and um, unfortunately, I was able to save some, but there was unfortunately there was quite a bit of loss of to the animals and th that. But I was able to to halt it from causing too much devastation. Okay. So you're like your, your local medicine woman. Yeah. Next question. What are you afraid of? Dark and quiet. Great. I don't 
like caves or things like that super much. And yeah, quiet gets to me after a while. And finally, did you explore Scattered Rose Island? I did spend some time there. Uh, I didn't get to explore it as much as I'd like because I was still um, on on my mission. But uh, I did take the opportunity to, to try to see as much of it as I could. Okay. So that's our cast. The first thing I'd like to explain to you guys, the listeners, about how this game works is that it has kind of a non-standard stat system. The five stats are based more on how your character chooses to solve problems than they are about kind of immutable attributes your character has. Those stats are daring, understanding, sensitivity, subtlety, and adaptability. So a character with low understanding isn't necessarily, say, dumb, but it does mean that they don't use their intellect to solve problems. They don't seek to understand a situation better in order to solve it. They prefer to solve it in other ways. So my next question is, what's everybody's best stat and what's everybody's worst stat? We're going to start with Kathleen. Yeah, so Tissa has been wandering and in the wilds for a long time, and um she draws on that breadth of understanding and experience to make most of her decisions. What's Tissa's worst stat? She is not particularly subtle, and uh, she is not necessarily great at, like, picking up on fine details that uh, she's not expecting to see. So a low sensitivity. So low sensitivity, low subtlety, yeah. Okay, Nick, same question. Jonathan's biggest stat is uh, daring, pretty obviously, seeing as he is, again, privateer. Uh, He loves to solve problems in large, boisterous manners. Uh, He loves to throw his natural charisma around, uh, as well as his weight. And he is a fairly accomplished swordsman um, in his own right. So he prefers to get things done um, as straightforward as humanly possible, which also means that his two worst stats are subtlety. He doesn't like sneaking around. He doesn't like trying subterfuge or anything like that. That's not how he rolls. And understanding, because understanding requires time and he is not a very patient person. Pardon, sorry. Okay, my last question, Penelope. So um, it looks like this crew is going to be all really bad at subtlety because Penelope is not good at subtlety either. (laughs) That's not how she rolls. She's loud and boisterous and doesn't mind people knowing she's here and it's a little bit of a it's a little bit of a showman actually in a way which might sound odd for someone who's kind of like sensitive and caring to animals and stuff but yeah she's well think kind of like the uh a cowboy in a cowboy movie okay that's that's sort of her her personality and in, in, in a way um and so daring is actually her highest stat. Um, she likes to um, just go out and get it done. Doesn't really think too, too much about consequences. Just prefers to take action. I think we're hurting Kat. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we're hurting Kat. Um, so the good news is, I guess I don't have anybody who's going to be constantly doing sneak tricks. But the bad news is, <laughs> oh, you guys. We are team loud. So, oh, so the next thing that I'd like to discuss is how skills are rolled in this game. 
And scales are rolled using a pile of six-sided die, which you can crib from Monopoly games, which is... Or the giant brick of D6s you probably have if you're listening to this podcast. Ugh, or the giant brick of D6s you probably have. Y'all probably played like Warhammer or Shadowrun or something like that. Like you probably got the big brick. Or you got a big brick, brick of dice because like a brick of bright pink dice was just irresistible to you and you collect dice. That might also be a reason. But regardless, um, you're going to choose a step that goes with the skill you need to roll. For example, one of the skills would be long-range weapons. And so typically if you're making an attack, you're using daring, but understanding long-range weapons would be used to like survey an area for good sniper vantage points. So there's always kind of a, a combination of skill and stat to more more exactly describe what you're trying to do. So you're going to choose your stat. You're going to total up the value in your stat and your skill. You're going to roll that many dice. On a five or a six, the dice is counted as a success. And most things are going to require one or two successes to succeed. On a two, three, or a four, the dice isn't counted. It's a nothing. On a one, the dice is what is called an edge success. And what that means is I, the GM, am going to make a little devil's bargain with you. So you can keep this as a success, but maybe you'll hurt yourself or you'll put the party in danger or you'll compromise a side goal that you had. I expect this is going to happen every single time we try to lie to anybody. Oh, yeah. One hundo percent. <laughs> and edge successes are so fun. There's so much they can bring to the game. So, I love it. What'll happen is, say I'm rolling six die, and what I've got here, because you guys can't see my roll, is... I can. Nick? She's cheating. Nick! Don't... <laughs> not in front of the listeners. What I've got here is two successes and one edge success. So I could take two successes, but if the difficulty of the task is three, then the GM may say something like, well, you can keep your edge success but you are going to fall on your ass and look like a jerk. And if my character is very invested in not falling on their ass and looking like a jerk, then I've got to make a judgment call here. So usually what they'll say is like, I've got two successes, one edge. The bargaining goes from there. I've decided not to because I don't want to fall on my ass or look like a jerk. Coward. Nick? Okay. Nick's just getting into character already. Nick is getting... On my nerves. That's where Nick is getting. I'm trying so hard to be such a cool host GM. That's not a joke. I'm trying. How dare you? We're helping. You guys are helping so much. I am so helpful. From the 80s and she's here to help. Okay. So with that in mind, let's get started. We start in Hushwave City. It's, by the standards of this continent, a fairly large city. Since the end of the last war, much of the world was destroyed. Hushwave City stayed intact, but it stayed intact because it was small, because it was shielded by a range of active volcanoes. But the impenetrable jungle and the ever-present danger of those volcanoes prevented it from really growing into a thriving metropolis. The pace in Hushwave City is 
leisurely, tropical. There are beautiful beaches with salt and pepper colored sand and grand expanses of bright blue placid ocean. The reason this place is called the Coral Coast is because it is inhabited by a strain of coral that moves astonishingly quickly. Even once they've deposited their skeletons, these skeletal calcified structures still move and still change. The area in around Hushwave City can't really be mapped except on a day-to-day -day basis. What was once a pathway may be consumed by coral spikes the next day. What was once a cave could be flooded with lava one month and obliterated. The Coral Coast is a place that is always changing, but as a result, everyone here is kind of at peace with change. So despite the frenetic behavior of the environment, Hushwave City is kind of chill, and that's where our heroes find themselves. So where do you suppose you three met? Probably at a very swinging party. Yeah. Penelope would be down with a, a swinging party. Something fun, like something gregarious and outgoing. Maybe, yeah. uh, why don't we say like a big outdoor festival? That sounds like a great place to start. Yeah, that does actually. Live music, lots of good food and drink. You know, the kind of thing that you go to when you're on vacation. Tissa was absolutely gawking over fruits that she had never seen before, mm -hmm. like the worst kind of tourist imaginable. <laughs> and you know what? That's Pollyanna was uh, also interested in the fruits, and that's how I ended up stumbling upon Tissa. She's uh, sometimes not the best behaved pony and likes to run in and try to, doesn't understand that you have to pay for, for produce. Oh, here's a question. What do your characters look like? Um. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jonathan is a tall, wide, swarthy individual who keeps his hair um, pretty much shaved down. What little hair he uh, he does have, he keeps in just sort of a um, little goatee or soul patch, if you... Eh, probably more than a soul patch. little goatee. And he wears well-worn uh, well but not shabby um, sailor's outfit with some nice boots. And he is probably around town with his knapsack full of all of his stuff and his variety of other naval accoutrements. So Tissa is kind of like that uh, crust punk you knew um, when you were in college who went around <laughs> and just did things, except that she never stopped doing that and got a job at her dad's law firm or whatever. So um, she is sort of covered in scarves and old clothes and new clothes under the old clothes and is carrying around stuff and um, got into the habit of covering her face in the, and hair in the desert and just continues to do so even now. And she looks like a weirdo in most places, probably because she is. All right. Um, and uh, Penelope is tall, uh, medium build, Long, waist-length red hair, normally worn in a plate and covered by a wide-brimmed hat. Tends to wear very simple, uh, layered clothing to, like, a just a shirt with, like, a jacket, leather jacket kind of thing. Red, uh, sort of a round face, button nose with red freckles. Um, 
often has a sunburnt nose. And what does Pollyanna look like? So Pollyanna is a, um, pin, is that what they're called? Pinto, where they're like kind of, uh, they have spots Yeah. on them. I mean, that's what it would be called if this was a horse. Yes. Well, that's sort of, that's the, the type of, of coat that, that Pollyanna has, um, sort of a dark, deep chestnut brown with white uh, spotted modeling, um, is a quite a large um quite a large cloud elk as cloud elks go um kind of almost has Clydesdale type structure not quite as big but like it is is kind of closer to that um with the furry hooves and More like a cloud yeah, she's, she's uh, quite an impressive uh in- impressive uh cloud elk okay so you guys are hanging out at a beachside party there's a public festival going on, which is not an uncommon occurrence. The Because the culture here was uninterrupted by the cataclysm at the end of the last war, people here hold on to their traditions and, as a result, celebrate themselves a lot of festivals and are delighted to do so. So you guys are out on the beach, enjoying some fruit, enjoying some drinks in cartoonishly large uh, glasses with more garnishes than you expect a thing should have. Enough garnishes that it's technically a salad is kind of the go-to drink of this particular affair. There's a big open fire pit in which there's a boar roasting and the sun is setting over a calm ocean in a clear sky. And the three of you have got to talking kind of it's not difficult to tell who the adventurers are in an area, so. <laughs> and as you are talking over your drinks, you can see something slowly begin to rise over a ridge in the hill. At the end of the bay, there's a little outcropping of land, and there's a thin piece of wood that starts ever so slowly to poke itself up as if it's emerging from the bay. And um, Jonathan immediately recognizes what this is. This is a mast. It is not well used. It's draped in a thick curtain of kelp and the rigging and sail have long since rotted to nothing. But this is a mast. Well-built mast. It's either currently being built or it is rising just on the other side of the bay. Let me tell you a tale of a fateful trip. I think judging by the the seaweed accoutrement, I'm going to assume that there's something going on here. And Jonathan is going to put his accordion down. Um, oh, no. He plays the accordion. Of course he plays the accordion. I have performance. <laughs> I sing better than I play the accordion. <laughs> The accordion is the Walkman of the Age of Exploration. That's... Well, everyone else has said something ridiculous, so I suppose it was your turn. She's, she's not wrong, though. <laughs> but dang. <laughs> but, okay, so. but yeah, Jonathan is going to put his, put his accordion back into his, uh, his backpack and tighten his boots and sort of uh, and motion to the other two that he's going to 
go take a look at it and sort of head off in the direction where he would be sort of either the first to go, to see it rise up all the way or like if it's near an outcropping or something where he might be able to get on over to it. He doesn't want to swim out to it just yet, just in case he's got other stuff connected to it. Um, just So is it coming out from like the the water in the bay or is it coming out from a like uh, outcropping of like rock that's out in the water kind of thing or? Okay, basically imagine that I'm trying to find a way to describe the, the you guys are uh, on a beach in a bay and the bay is kind of encircled by these outcroppings of rock and on the other side of one of them either in the ocean or the jungle, and it's hard to tell because the land kind of blocks your view, is where this mast is coming from. Okay. Um, yeah, Penelope's going to follow, um, as is Pollyanna, and try to get a... Actually, she's going to take up to the air um, and okay. see what uh, what she can see from above. Oh, God. And I had just gotten the nerve up to ask if I could touch... Where are you going? Oh. <laughs> And uh, Tissa follows along with Cobb. So, what Cobb and Tissa see is, as they climb the slope up to the edge of the bay, is the mast of a ship protruding from the ocean on the other side. This particular area is mostly lava flats. The ground that you're crossing is smooth and glossy and deep black. There are plants kind of surrounding this lava flat, but they haven't quite made it onto yet. You're surrounded by the calls of birds that you have probably never heard before. They seem to be exchanging pleasantries back and forth across this lava plain. What Penelope sees from the sky is on the other side of the lava plain, there is what looks like a lace doily, a big round area of delicate white strands that seem to be dragging up with them the rotting carcass of an old ship. It's speared through by coral spines, and this delicate network of coral is attached to the land, and so an entire area on the other side of the bay has become almost completely white. Oh, okay. So it's starting to do the, uh, it's uh, shifting and adjusting the coral. And as it's doing so, it has apparently dredged up a shipwreck. Hmm. Uh, I'm going to uh, land near, near my colleagues and uh, let them know what I saw as well. So now I have a question for you guys. Before you get too far away from the city, I believe it's time to do a survival pool. The way survival pools work is the party is going to roll survival. In this case, it's survival nautical, which means Jonathan, who specializes in that, is going to get an extra success. And you guys are just going to tell me the total number that you get between you. And as you explore this area, I'm going to ask you to spend from your pool in order to avoid hazards. Or you can choose to embrace the hazards or try to find other ways around them. Spending from the pool is kind of a way of saying, oh, we thought this might happen, so we brought X. So that being said, who 
Who wants to roll me survival nautical? Obviously, Cobb is going first. This is this is his. This is where he is a Viking. Now, this is preparation, which means I'm not going to let you roll daring. I'm going to roll adaptability, uh, survival nautical, okay. to sort of figure out, you know, if is there going to be like anything that's stuck there, creatures, like if the is the ship rotting, will we have to, you know, move really quickly? Uh, will we have to move around with a coral support? Our like obviously the coral supports the ship's weight, but like it's spread out, so you know, trying to think of all the little permutations that that might happen there, the little things we'll have to adapt to if something changes suddenly. Okay, so how many dice are you rolling? I get three dice, and I get one bonus success because I have a specialty in survival nautical. Okay, roll it. I got a big whole uh, one single success off of my specialty. Jonathan is still kind of drunk. Your survival pool right now is one. Um, so, I'm going to say um, understanding is obviously ideal. Adaptability is a-okay. I think those are the only two stats I'm going to allow this with, actually. So that being said, Penelope. So I'm going to do uh, through understanding. Okay. And I get three dice. Roll it. One success um, and an edge. But yeah, one success. Okay. I am the newbie here. So let's just walk through how we're adding up these pulls real fast. So... If I use understanding, which I've got three points in, mm -hmm. and then I've got one point in uh, coastal survival, does that give me four dice to roll? You got um, you've got one point in survival in general, right? Um, so I've got so I I maybe I made my character wrong. Oh dear! I remember the survival we had subspecialties of a bunch of different categories. Yes, but those are mostly just kind of innate when you take the skill. So let's just um, for now let's go with what's your highest survival is two. Okay. So I'm going to ask you to roll me five dice. I've got five edge successes. What? Oh, wow. Did you just roll the five-eyed snake? I did roll the five-eyed snake. Take them. That, wow. That's... Take them. I will take all of them. <laughs> okay. Heck yeah. This is I'm... a good party. I'm going to say that <laughs> you guys have got a total of six edge successes. So if you want to keep these edge successes, I'm going to say that there is one particular challenge I'm actually not allowing you to spend anything on. So when this challenge comes up, you can't say you prepared for it. You just have to deal. I'm down with that. Well, I mean, we were three people who just met each other drunk at a party mm -hmm. and wandered off to a ship with whatever we were carrying, so this seems about fair. So was that nine in total then? Because we had six edge successes, Nick and I each had one, and you rolled... Oh no, so that's six, so, so eight, right? Accepted. Yes, I got an edge success and a, and a regular success, and Nick got an edge and a regular as well? No, I, I got one for a bonus because I have the nautical specialty, which gives me one success in nautical, and I rolled three threes. Okay, so. so you and I each got a regular success, and then there was six edge successes. So, okay, eight. Eight. Cool. You guys cross over the lava flats and see the site that I've described to, uh, to Kirsten, this lacy network of coral holding up this battered hulk. Um, Jonathan, you can tell that this is a merchantman, a fairly large merchantman. It's definitely very old. 
And it might have a very good lockbox. It might. It might. That's the first thought that Cobb has. The second thought is probably I should sober up. But but money first. Money first. <laughs> Sobriety later. Those are the rules. Tissa is probably not entirely sure whether or not this is an adventure yet. And probably still has her drink and sipping along. And is like, oh, <laughs> this is cool. Good. I don't think Penelope is ever without some kind of uh, beverage. Likes to Likes to keep chill, hydrated, <laughs> you know? slurping on a latte while also holding an ice latte in the other hand okay for for listeners that's that's how i roll in real life as yeah well that's too. a slam up that is a slam on kirsten that's the kirsten special yes standard practice <laughs> i i tend to 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 roll with many beverages <laughs> god i'm glad you don't have more fists or else i would never get all the used coffee cups out of my apartment. <laughs> it's how i find my way back places it's like breadcrumbs hideous so I would like everyone in the party right now to roll me sensitivity and let me know kind of what skill you're using. So what kinds of things are you keeping out an eye out for? Mm, I'm actually probably watching the skies and the weather. On the coast, the weather can change quite quickly. So sensitivity survival? Yes. I get uh, one success. Yeah, uh, Cobb is also going to be doing sensitivity survival, but he is specifically going to be looking for um, fish, other dangerous like creatures, other stuff like that that might be lurking, any sort of poisonous fish, any sort of fairly aggressive fish, you know, or eels or something. Once more, I get one. One single success. Okay. One single success. Jonathan's not rolling real hot right now. He's got to sober up still. Tissa will be rolling sensitivity navigation. Um, probably just looking a little bit ahead, making sure that uh, looking upstream, downstream, making sure that the lava isn't doing anything particularly weird, that she doesn't step in a weird place, that she doesn't drop her drink, etc. With the zen of someone who pre-gamed very, very successfully, Tissa has three successes. Whoa, nice. <laughs> Tissa's good at dice. Tissa's the, the competent one. The rest of us are just drunk and like party animals. I'm not convinced that Tissa is the competent one here. She just seems to be going. Just going with the flow. And while you're looking around, you spot something that is kind of like a small cave. And while a person could probably not climb into it, it seems like a real good den for something. Uh, I don't like this. Caves are cold and dark and... I don't know, you can't tell what's coming. Actually, no, you know what, with three successes, uh, not only that, but Tissa can see the cave's occupant a little bit further down the shore. Down where the lava flats give way to more of that salt and pepper colored sand. Tissa, you see a large gray feline. It's um, about the size of a husky, and its fur is actually more like, like plates, like a pangolin or armadillo, which gives it a peculiar serpentine appearance. It has extremely broad paws, and what you're looking at is what's called a shore cat. They have a substantial vertical leap and like to just... Pounce on shorebirds. 
But they'll absolutely nail a drunk person to the wall. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Got a uh uh big guy. Um red red. Y- um yes. stop look hmm? look that way. That, uh big cat. Oh yeah. Sure cats. That's fine. Uh it's fine. They're harmless. Well, they're not harmless, but I don't think it notices us. So here's my question for you guys. This is how survival challenges work. You can spend two points out of your pool of eight to say, we brought food that we can distract it with. You can fight it. Or, you know what? I'm going to say you guys can try to sneak past it. I'd say we spend the two points because we're not sneaky. And also, I would say Penelope generally has different food stuff for different animals. She likes to kind of, she, she feeds the birds and all that kind of stuff. Always has snacks on hand. I also vote for spending the two, mostly because I think uh, somebody having just like a big old like turkey leg <laughs> that they're still drunkenly chewing on while they're over there makes a lot of sense. Okay. <laughs> what do you think, Kathleen? Yeah, no, that works for me, but I'm kind of imagining then like Penelope or someone is grabbing the turkey leg and throwing it at the cat. All right. So who is... Who has the turkey leg? Oh, come on. You know who has the... Oh, (laughs) wow. I got sniped. Maybe we both have to... Maybe all of us are still munching on turkey legs. We're just, you know... Tessa probably doesn't have a turkey leg, but I can believe that you two do. (laughs) So you guys both have turkey legs. Who throws the turkey? I will. Okay. Are you throwing your own? Uh, I'm... So I'm wrenching as... um, Jonathan has it kind of tucked in his mouth because we're kind of climbing and stuff. Sometimes he has to kind of put it in his mouth. I sort of just yoink it out and toss it. You had your own. I'm not throwing my own. I'm going to eat that. <laughs> okay. So the turkey leg uh, arcs its way through the air, having been stolen straight from the mouth hey. of Cobb. It lands near the shore cat who stops its prowling and arcs its head around and finally catches a look at you guys. And it has big amber eyes with what look like kind of a nictating membrane. And it looks at you. And it looks at Pollyanna. And it looks at the turkey. And it looks at the turkey. Oh, it wants my turkey too. All right. No. And then it, uh, it pounces on the turkey that you've thrown and drags it back to its, its lair. And... You guys do not have to fight or sneak away from this huge angry cat. And I get to keep my turkey. <laughs> and isn't that what really matters? Some of us seem to think so. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to cut it there. Um, next time we're going to continue our investigation of the shipwreck. Cobb is going to get a new turkey leg. Cobb can't get a new turkey leg until we get back to town. Well, then we better do that next time. We better do that next time. So you guys better investigate very fast. Yes. <laughs> so there's one more th- mechanic of this game I want to introduce to you guys today. And it's called Barry Time. And I can't say that without that little jingle. So sorry about it. And it's, it's branding. Absolutely branding. So at this point in the game, what we do is we go around the table and we ask everyone, what was memorable to them. And I mean, we've played for about half an hour today, so there's not 
going to be as much as there would be for, after a longer session. And everyone who states something, though, gets a memory point, which they can use later on to use abilities. So we're going to start with Kathleen. Hmm. So is it, is it about what I, Kathleen, remember, or is it what Tissa the Wandering Magus remembers? It is what you, Kathleen, found memorable. Okay. Well, I really like um, this kind of like super fast growing landscape of the coral, just like as a setting thing, I think is super cool. And I'm really excited to see what you do with that. Yay. Nick. I, I have to admit, I am very amused by, and I love the fact that Cobb got his turkey stolen. <laughs> like that was actually like pretty great. You explicitly stated you had your own your own turkey. Chris. I know that's what makes it the that's what makes it the best. <laughs> Speaking of which, Kirsten, um, I am actually super jazzed to play with a party that lacks any subtlety. I kind of think that's <laughs> no. <laughs> it's going to be interesting and entertaining, and I feel like that's what it would have brought our party together. Is we're all kind of like boisterous and adventurous, and um. And I'm sorry, Kat, it's probably going to be a headache wrangling us. <laughs> um, but I kind of, I kind of, I kind of dig it. Okay. Um, so thank you guys very much for playing with me and for being my playtesters. And thank you, audience, for, for listening to this. Um, you can find us on Twitter at PeachGardenRPGs. We've got a website at PeachGardenGames.com or at SortOfSymphonies.com. And I'd love to hear what you guys think, because this is a play test and I guess the stories we create and the impact those can have on people is part of the test. So I hope you enjoy this as much as we do, and I hope we have a blast. Yeah, and don't worry, we'll, we'll fight some stuff soon. We'll absolutely fight some stuff soon. Thank you for joining us, and um, uh, thanks for having me here, guys. And um... I'm new to podcasting, so thank you for listening to my voice. <laughs> You're doing great, fucking ding dong. <laughs> you infinite jackass. You're doing fine. I swear, is this PG? Oh, God, is this PG? I said so many bad words earlier. Did you? Yeah, for sure. No, you didn't. I can't let five minutes go past without saying the word ass, my dude. That's, that's PG these days. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> ass is PG. All right. You heard it here first, everyone. Sort of symphonies, as is PG. Mm -hmm.